If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought you. <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Podfellas. Our show provides film and TV reviews from two guys that make, watch, and love movies. I am Myron, and of course, joining me each week is Will. Hello there, people. <laughs> I How like that you? one. Very sick, silky smooth version Ooh, of it that time. Nice. Yeah. I'm glad I can please you, Myron. Oh, yeah. Today, we'll be reviewing the miniseries The Queen's Gambit and the film Freaky. But before we get to the reviews, first things first, let's start with our rundown on the latest in entertainment news. All right. So it seems as though every week we are talking about the same thing, but the stories keep coming and things keep changing. So it's big news, people. Big yes, news. this is huge. Um, recently announced was that Warner Brothers, for their entire 2021 film slate, will be releasing all of their films in theaters. And on that same day, they will also be coming straight to HBO Max. This is huge. huge. It's like, but like, tell us, like, what's the what's the catch though? That's a good question. At least HBO Max. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it's kind of hard to, I think, clarify that at this moment. So I was originally wondering if uh, viewers would have to pay $29.99 to view these films, much like the way Disney Plus subscribers had to pay right. that amount to watch Mulan. But apparently what's happening is AT&T, which owns HBO Max, HBO, as well as Warner Brothers, they are trying to inject new life into their streaming service, which so far has not been doing well. Not and so, all. yeah, so I think this is a they're basically using this as a means to jumpstart that streaming service, trying to draw in new subscribers. But it almost kind of feels like they're kind of throwing the towel in on all these movies, which is I, I don't know. Uh, like how to uh, how to interpret that but uh it's like uh, just give it everything just throw everything at it and see what happens just we need it we need to recover from this yeah but i yeah. don't think they're really hurting well i know they're hurting but i don't think they're gonna shut down really because yeah. at t's huge like, yeah they're, they're huge yeah and i think what this is a business move um you know, they understand that their movies are going to take a hit in terms of box office grosses, but they're trying to increase revenue into another stream of, of business. Right. So uh, we'll see if it works. Uh, I, I don't know how the numbers are working out during COVID in terms of how streaming movies are doing, but I'm sure this is going to be huge for HBO Max. Um, and it doesn't look like, like we said, we have to pay to watch these, but apparently, uh, these movies will be out only for 30 days once it hits HBO max, mm -hmm. at which point they will pull it. Why are they doing that? Probably so they could re-release the movie on like 4k disc later and try to make money mm -hmm. again, like double dip and make money disc. twice. Yeah. Who buys or discs? on demand. And you know, it's kind of like what Disney plus did with Mulan, right? They, had you pay $29.99 to watch it exclusively on Disney Plus, and then after like a few months, they release the titles on like a Apple TV or Prime, and you can now watch it there. So, you know, just because they release it on HBO Max doesn't mean that they can't make money on that product. They basically are holding it and then re releasing it later to basically increase their revenue stream. So. Uh, I'll be honest. I think this financial or this strategy is going to be a bit of a bust. I think that they. Uh, to be honest, to help them, uh, should charge a premium for these films. Like maybe, maybe not as much, uh, cause they don't have as much content as Disney plus does, but like, say like since Mulan was 30 bucks, maybe Wonder Woman should be 15 bucks or something to watch on demand at, yeah. um, while you're still subscribed to it. I mean, at least something, you know? Yeah. 
That's a good so. point. I don't know how this will work uh, if they are letting subscribers watch it for free. It'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, all I know is that this is huge. Like, COVID sucks and we can't go out. But, hey, we're going to get to watch Matrix 4, Suicide, <laughs> Suicide Squad 2, Dune. Dude. All these movies are coming right to our living room Dude. in 4K. Dude. Awesome. It's going to be gonna be crazy it's constant yeah, i'm telling yeah. you people you got to realize uh, we have to face reality honestly and I, I think you're on the same page with me myron is that the industry is gonna change it's hollywood is gonna change you know theaters are gonna be something closer down at least for me in my opinion to a niche closer to a niche so sad times but then again hey dude 90 99 inch 110 inch screens are, are getting cheaper yeah so. Home theater systems, large screens. Uh, people yeah. have like theater reclining theater chairs in their houses. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's the way of the future. <laughs> Heck yep. yeah. Anyway, looking ahead uh, at future episodes, next week we will be reviewing the film Mank, directed by David Fincher. And we will also be reviewing the film Let Them All Talk, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Now, I wanted to do something kind of fun here, Will. Um, these two guys are, have been anti-establishment, anti-studio for a while. Soderbergh goes back and forth making movies with like the iPhone and then making movies with like prototype cameras. And basically, he's like, even operating that. his own camera when he makes these mm-hmm. movies. Very, yeah. very anti-studio. He you know, started in the indie world. And then there's Fincher, who basically tells studios, F you, I'm going to make the movies the way I want to. But yet studios keep giving him that freedom and, 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 and endorsing and financing his movies. All the money. Yeah. <laughs> so what we're going to do during next week's episode is we will take four of Fincher's films, four of Soderbergh's films, right? And we're going to put them into a tournament bracket and they're going to square off against each other. And you and I will, we're going to be debating which movie should win in each round. Sounds like fun. Man. I think you're more of a Soderbergh. Like, I think you know more about Soderbergh than I do, but I'm going to do my best. Yeah. So we're going to get, we're going to get like traffic, Ocean's Eleven, mm-hmm. maybe Aaron Brockovich, and uh, one more Soderbergh movie, right? We'll take like four of his and we'll square them up against the social the network. Social network. Seven. <laughs> Girl um, with a dragon tattoo. Exactly. So this should be fun. And then. Yeah. We're going to debate who should win and then who gets to move on to the next round. And by the end of the episode, we'll have a winner. Woo. Should be fun. Let's see what happens. Let's see yep. what happens. Okay. And the week after that, we will be reviewing the film Songbird, which Blah. deals with Blah. the idea. Sorry. I think we talked about this in the past that COVID-19 has evolved into a much more dangerous virus. Clickbait. And yeah, I just, I'm so sick of COVID. <laughs> I am just it's so over it. It's a clickbait movie, clickbait people. Hey. But people are still going to watch it because it's Michael Bay and he, all he does is entertain and blow shiz up, you know. Yeah. And we'll be pairing that up with a movie called The Sound of Metal. So uh, The Sound of Metal. What a weird pairing. Yeah. Super weird pairing, but okay. Sound of Metal it deals with a drummer played by Riz Ahmed who is going death. Yeah. <laughs> Sound of Metal. Not yeah. death. He's not <laughs> death. playing death metal. He's playing Sound- death metal. The Sound of Metal deals with a rock and roll drummer who is slowly going deaf. Um, supposedly one hell of a performance by Riz Ahmed. So we are looking forward to reviewing that. Any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or reviews of content? Drop us a line at the podfellaspodcast at gmail.com. And please tell your friends about us. Our podcast can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. 
And now on to our first review. Will and I will be taking a look at The Queen's Gambit, written and directed by Scott Frank. Here is a look at the trailer. Men are going to come along and want to teach you things. Doesn't make them any smarter. You just let them blow by, and you go on ahead and do just what and how you feel like. Someday you're going to be all alone. So you need to figure out how to take care of yourself. Tell the readers of life how it feels. And to be a girl. Among all those men. I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be... beautiful. You're an orphan, Beth. I'm fine being alone. I feel safe in an entire world of just 64 squares. Our creativity and psychosis often go hand in hand. Or for that matter. Genius and madness. There's no player in the world as gifted as you are. There is one player that scares me. Who? The Russian. Don't make me over. He is a world champion. Now that I do anything for you. I'm supposed to go to Russia, but what I want is a drink. I'm worried about you. Don't make me over. What? What on earth for? Now that you got me and you're Maybe it's in my blood. My mother went crazy. Went crazy or always was? I don't even know if I'm good enough. You're the best there is. You've got your gift. And you've got what it costs. to say for you what that will be. That was a look at the Queen's Gambit. Here's what the miniseries is about. Orphaned at the tender age of nine, prodigious introvert Beth Harmon discovers and masters the game of chess in 1960s USA. But child stardom comes at a price. So, Will... What was your first so reaction? Uh, I think you and I both finished this within its first week of release. It was binge-worthy for me. What were your thoughts about this uh, miniseries? You know, dude, first thing I loved was the cinematography and the set design. It was so, so beautiful. The way the cinematographer, Steven uh, Meisler, lit mm-hmm. every single scene. Agreed. He really kept in tune with the era, with the soft lighting, um, he really added an extra dimension of artistry to the scenes, especially during the chess matches. I mean, you think mm-hmm. of chess matches as just a table, two people in a very bland room, but he made it so interesting and like just art. Just it was just a beautifully, it was just beautifully done. It was yeah. classy. It was so classy and elegant. You know, 
Yeah, I yeah. Mean, if I can, yeah. If I can jump in there, I mean, yeah. As the character Beth evolved from a young girl um, to the woman that we see at the end of the film, the locations of her chess tournaments uh, evolve as the character evolves. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we first see her playing chess in a gymnasium. Yeah, I mean, even going back before that, she learns in a basement, of course. And then uh, she like goes into a hotel in Mexico City, and of course, at the end, she's ultimately playing in Russia in this beautifully in this beautifully lit location that almost kind of looks like a prison (laughs) but it looks a lot cooler and a lot more elegant of course so totally agree with you on that the russians you know just kidding (laughs) um but yeah i mean i I think like i think one of my favorite scenes though too as you as you're even talking about as i'm recollecting on it that was i think the first match that she had with her i think the was a guy's name the boy crush that she kind of had uh oh yeah yeah yeah. that became a journalist right Mm-hmm. And it was just them two, and they were like, I think it was the it was the last match, uh, and they were the the hairline outline, and everyone g- gathering around, and it was and just like literally that scene where they're just sitting at the table, and it was like a profile shot of them two just sitting across from each other. It was so captivating to look at that scene. Yeah. So, um, other than that, director Scott Frank did an amazing job with the series. I really, you know, I, I applaud him. But really, for me, the editor, Michelle Tesoro, was freaking fantastic. Making every edit in the chess match feel suspenseful and keeping you, like, and, and like basically keeping you invested in the dramatic mm-hmm. scenes every step of the way. It was yeah. so well edited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of know how to play chess, but not really. And I am just looking at what they're doing. Obviously, like they're moving so fast, especially in like the speed chess scenes that we have no idea what they're doing. But I think it's okay that we don't know what they're doing, but it it's cut so well how those chess matches are shot. So, ha- so you say so that. Well too. Yeah, huh? you say that, but I actually, so they had, um, I forgot what grandmaster, they actually had a grandmaster on set every time to really set up the pieces and, and have them like, you know, uh, play off in that sense. But really? every, yes. So every cut that they did, I paused it. And I would look at the board when it was the board, seeing where the chess pieces were and actually investing myself in thinking, what's their next move? And I would play it and then it would be the next cut and I would pause it and see the move that they make. And I'm like, okay, if they do that move, I was literally finding myself investing in chess playing with them and seeing how one or the other would win in that circumstance. So well done. And the grandmaster that was there as a supervisor, man, hats off to him as well. Wow. So So you're a chess player, Will. No, I am not, but no. I, I like the thought. I like to think so. <laughs> Chess is fun to play, though. I will say, yeah. I, I I am definitely uh, not at all great at it, but I know enough of the rules uh, to actually have fun playing it. I'm a slow yeah. player, though, for sure, because just like they say, there's millions and millions of moves you can do. Yeah, to, yeah. To really, we'll have to like, play sometime. It. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty too. fun. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We can both suck together, but one yes. of us has to be the winner. So yeah, we'll see what happens. No. <laughs> but going on, I mean, the ensemble cast, you, you'd have to agree, Myron, that they were all oh, amazing. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. And the lead, uh, Anya uh, Taylor-Joy, who played Beth, she was breathtaking. You couldn't take your eyes off her and her performance. Even the actress who played her younger self, Isla Johnston, she did an incredible freaking job and kept a consistency with the personality of the character. Like they, it was like they were both meant to play the character because they just connected so well in terms of like just who they like from where she was as, as a young character and just that very shy, timid, just very quiet, 
you know, um, innocent little girl to this still like more confident, but yet still very low, timid, very like soft spoken, like older girl kind of thing. It was so great. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, she carried this miniseries. It's I think seven episodes long and she carries every episode. Um, I knew she was a good actor. She's good in everything she's been in from like split to the witch and uh seeing her here though it's like another level another dimension she plays a girl from like her teens like you know 13 14 years old all the way up to her early 20s and she plays someone that's insecure and that's kind of searching for who she is and searching for a place to belong to and by the end she's a confident um woman that uh is mature and has grown a great deal and you see this from her posture to how she walks to even how she plays chess um, there's an awkwardness at the beginning and then to there's a fashion. Flu- yeah. 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 Just the way everything became confident. Yeah. And then there's like a fluidity of movement and even her outfits and how she, how she wears the outfits, how she carries herself. It changes in every scene and it's a progression throughout a seven episode series. Phenomenal performance. I think it might be the best performance I've seen all year so yeah, far. This miniseries, this miniseries was crafted very well and packaged like everything needed to create a solid story. From the mm-hmm. major character backgrounds to the drama and suspense of the chess matches and to the path the story was taking, it was, to me, it was the perfect balance of plot and story development because when the two, mm-hmm. w- when either or out of whack, it can feel like an uneven movie or series in that sense. Yeah. So but when it's too plot driven without focusing on the on characters. On the character is, you're just yeah. like, okay, you don't really get, you don't feel very much invested in the character to yeah. be able to care so much where the story's going in the sense. Yeah. Or like. if it's too much dwelling on character the uh, driven, characters, yeah. then it can get slow because we don't know the where the story's headed. Exactly. So like for you, just how you just perfectly explained the way how she grew in confidence mm-hmm. in f- from, from the way she played chess, the way that she carried herself, the way she like the way she dressed herself, the way like all those things were like intertwined with the story and herself. Like we were growing up with her. It felt like to, mm-hmm. to, to see her become a stronger, uh, yeah. not just a stronger chess player, but a stronger woman, a person in general. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah, Great. I mean, I, I love that. Yeah. Um, was there I mean, anything you didn't like about the film or that so kind of I, I've been thinking about it, it was it was hard honestly this this one was a pretty tough one to really nitpick at but uh, I think the only thing was really just a little bit more background on the relationship between Beth's real mother and father I, I wanted mm-hmm. to just see a little of that road of of Beth's mother that 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 letter to where she ended up in in the series obviously um uh spoiler alert but like she tries to kill herself and her daughter uh on the on well while she's driving but just to having i'm like thinking to myself like how did she like lead up to that point to really almost commit suicide you know what i mean uh and uh for her daughter and so i just wanted to know that, that we do get a little snippet of it uh, with with how she like is able to you see her real mother meet up with her real father but like it's just a bit of a quibble and and nothing more, and and it's like okay, well, I I guess I can I can live with that. You know what I mean? I just kind of yeah. want a little bit more of that. Yeah, I have to disagree there because um, I mean this entire movie is shown through Beth's eyes and her perspective, and sure. the reason why I think we aren't given more color here is because. Um, we saw that event and what happened between her mother and father through young Beth's eyes. And yeah. at the time, she wasn't really able to understand what she was seeing. So it's, I think we understand as much as the young Beth understood at that moment. 
So I think it's okay. I, I think we I agree got with enough. That. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. that's why it's like, yeah, I, I agree, and I and I can accept that. That's that's you know, I, I totally I'm totally fine with that. Mm. Um, I think the only <laughs> this is just a more of a personal thing though, but like, the only other issue is just man. How did you feel about the way it ended? Did you feel like this was a solid ending to a series? Or do you feel like, man, I kind of am itching for another season? Like, Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And it's every time I watch something really, really great, yeah, um, I want to forget I ever saw it so I could watch it for the first time again and feel all the things I felt. Um, that's how I felt when I watched like the final season of Breaking Bad. Or, so um, leave it alone. Yeah. Well, no, not necessarily. If if there's a place to take the character and the story, I would say do it. But, you know, this was based on a book and the book yeah. ended where the miniseries ended. Mm-hmm. And if this is a character story revolving around Beth Harmon, she evolved to where she needed to be to the best version of herself and you know the show ends on a high note so why ruin it by trying to manufacture something because then what you'll get is like matrix part two or big little lies season two big little lies season one was perfect Mm. and then you had to go make big little lies season two and that just was not very good in my opinion so so i guess the only analogy that i was going to bring up or or the example is going to say to you actually myron was like is it, would you like say like it's a Forrest Gump kind of thing? You leave leave alone Forrest Gump. There, there needs to be no other continuation of Forrest Gump 2. You know, I mean, that's where I was like struggling because like Forrest Gump was such a solid, amazing film that even though we can look at Haley Joel Osment's character as a child and think, oh, let's see where his life goes. Like, no, no, no. Leave it alone. That's it. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a book. Forrest Gump was based on a book, and that book had a sequel called Gump and Company. But uh, they Gump made the smart company. decision. I have not heard yeah. this. I have not the, heard this. <laughs> they made the smart decision in not trying to turn that into a movie. So they did the right thing there, and I, I hope they do the right thing here. Let it stand. Let it be. You know. Okay. So that's my only struggle with this is that the weak point is really on me, where I like I don't know whether or not I'm satisfied of letting this becoming just left at it as it is because it was a great way to end it. But then again, I'm like I kind of want to just see where else she can go with yeah. this now. You know, she's the champion. She's the great. You know, whatever. And like, and all of a sudden, like, where do you? Can we? Can we take it further? Can we? Can we? I kind of I'm curious. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, anyways, that's enough about my rant. What about you? Um, I mean, I've said a few things that I wanted to say, um, you know, as I was kind of, as you were bouncing your ideas off of me, um, Mm. if there's anything else I wanted to, I guess, go through, I would say the miniseries doesn't offer any surprises, but that's okay. Um, there is a formula, a tried and true, true formula to a story like this. And it hits those notes um, without many surprises, I guess you could say. You know, Beth is the creative genius with demons. It's kind of like watching a music biopic, right? Mm, I have like you seen, that. If you've seen uh, Walk the Line or, or Ray, it's something similar. They have this immense talent, but then they have these struggles. Prodigy. And they, yeah. Yeah, they grew up a certain way. And because of that, um, they, there are all these things that geniuses have to deal with. And that's very similar to what Beth you know, goes through. She and en- she endures heartache after heartache after heartache. I don't want to get too much into them. Just know that they're there, but you can kind of see them coming from a mile away. And then you like about halfway through the miniseries, you meet the nemesis, right? The man that is better than her 
at, at, uh, at chess, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, she loses to him multiple times. And then, of course, they square off against each other one more time at the end. And I'm sure you can guess what happens. I don't think I'm giving anything away. And even if I end, like the fact that I'm saying these things probably doesn't surprise you. So there are no surprises here. Uh, but that's okay because uh, the joy is in the journey. Like, honestly, I think we all know that there are no new ideas and there are no new stories. They're just rehashings of old stories. But it's all about the performances. And, you know, if, if for that reason, the Queen's Gambit, though it's uh, a tried and true formula, it still feels fresh. So I, I, I really think, did like that. Yeah, I think what I, what you said earlier too was you know scoring off with like you know the the one of the grand like world champion masters. Yeah. I think what I uh, what you mentioned and what I really appreciated was that this wasn't a film where it, you know it's like she's she's going to that level to face off with him once like she faces off with him multiple times and mm-hmm. and and loses and the fact that she's able to the fact that we're able to go on that journey of like um learning from your failures and continuing to push yourself and continuing to you know try to find that confidence it's not like oh you know they've trained all their lives for this one event no it's like no that she's she's faced him multiple times and lost and, and the idea is, can she ever win? You know, can she, will she ever win kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that was really something that I did like about a, uh, a series like this or a story like this. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you touched upon this, um, the production design. Yeah. Uh, from a, Just from a technical standpoint, this movie was really amazing. The production design. That house, costumes. right? Her house. Yeah. yeah. Man. The Lots of bright colors. Yeah. And then the house evolves as well as, you know, our main character evolves. Amazing. I loved her costumes, especially when she's in Russia at the end, Dude, the, the last couple of episodes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's great. So dapper um, and so chic. Yeah. In terms of weak points, I already talked about it. It was a little predictable. Um, but you didn't mind it that would, though, right? I didn't mind it. It would yeah. have been nice if they threw me a few curveballs here and there, but uh, it's okay. You know, I, I still found this... Uh, found this an extremely compelling drama. All right, so there's this thing in this uh, miniseries where Beth, um, she's hooked on tranquilizer pills at a very young age. And when she takes them, she it kind of, in a sense, opens up her mind to see things differently. So uh, we get this visual representation of how Beth sees moving pieces on a chessboard. She'll like lay on the bed, lay on her bed, and she'll look up at the ceiling. And then these chess pieces will materialize out of nowhere. And then as she sees those pieces, she'll be able to play out you know, all the different scenarios, all the different moves that she can make or her mm. opponent can make. Mm. I didn't like the representation of it. I didn't like how it looked. It looked kind of cheesy and kind really? of Harry Potter-esque, but I didn't mm. seem like we were watching that type of movie. I don't know. Did you like it? I mean, that's how Bobby Fischer visualized his, you know, his chess playing. Did he? No, I'm just joking. At the ceiling and... <laughs> I'm totally joking. <laughs> I don't know how Bobby Fischer <laughs> played out his matches yeah. beforehand. If someone can no, find I... him, then maybe <laughs> they can ask uh, him. But no, yeah. I, I didn't mind it. I thought that it was, you know, um, a good. I mean, maybe the way they animated it, but I get the the imagination representation for her to kind of be able to play it out in her head. Uh, I didn't mind it. So okay, cool. All right, so let's see. let's see. I think we covered everything. I think it's time to offer our listeners our final verdicts of The Queen's Gambit. So what do you give it, Will? 
So out of everything that that we've talked about, I, I, I originally uh, did give it a four, but I think I have to bump it up another half a star and go 4.5 mm. uh, just because, you know, the, the weak points weren't as weak as I thought they were. And well, and I, I am kind of a firm believer where it is kind of rare to find mm. a perfect, you know, movie, mm. miniseries, whatever have you, unless it's completely obviously your own bias in that sense, whatever. But yeah. to me, four and a half stars, beautifully mm. shot. Man, the set design, like I said, uh, and, and the clo- and the and the era of that time, amazing, well directed, amazingly edited. Stories captivating, and the ensemble cast was superb. Uh, definitely a must watch. So, awesome, awesome. Well, I give it five stars. This is the best thing I've seen all year. I know it's a down year, uh, considering COVID, considering that Bad Boys for Life is still the number one highest grossing movie <laughs> of twenty twenty. It's What's just the one numbers? of those years. What's the numbers? I, I, I don't know them off the top of my head, but uh, it is the best thing I've million. seen all year. And, uh, you know, yeah. Scott Frank, I love that guy. That guy's incredible. That guy's written Out of Sight, Minority Report, Logan, and now he's directing Netflix miniseries. Uh, last year, he directed a miniseries called Godless, which I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And then he went up it here. Uh, he went ups himself here with The Queen's Gambit. Uh, like I said, I wish I can forget I ever saw it so I could watch it again and feel the same damn things I felt the first time. Mm. It was that good. So highly, highly recommend this one. But the chances are, if you have Netflix, that you've probably already seen it because it's like the the most streamed thing on Netflix this entire year. And rightfully so. Yep. True, 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 true. So that was our in-depth review of the limited series, The Queen's Gambit. We will take a short break and come back with the review of the film Freaky. Stay tuned. Ordinary, boring Millie. I love your dress. I think I saw it at Discount Bonanza. <laughs> okay, so I was never the most popular. Homecoming's this weekend. Booker is gonna be at the dance. And boys never really noticed me. <laughs> Honestly, if this was a horror movie, I'd be one of the first ones to get killed. Cue the creepy dude in the mask. Like I said. <laughs> But actually, it turns out... Where am I? I didn't get killed. Oh my god, why do I sound like that? I woke up in the killer's body. The Blissfield Butcher strikes again. Don't freak out. You're black! I'm gay! We are so dead! Will you stop? It's me, it's Millie! Hill, Hill, Blissfield, I feel our glory and our might. Not only is that psycho wearing my body, he's killing it. He's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Who knows how many of our friends he's gonna kill? Are you sure this is safe? No. Oh my god, it's a slaughterhouse. I have like less than six hours to swap back, or I'm gonna be stuck in this body forever. Hurry up, loser, I gotta take a dump. I have to admit, it hasn't been all bad. I'm sorry, sir, I didn't mean to interrupt. I. Move! How's that feel? I'll make you wish your stupid face was never born. Oh my God, did you just pee yourself? Whoa, what am I wearing? I'm actually really liking this for you.
we're gonna get killed by Murder Barbie. Time to stop this asshole. We're in this together. I want my body back. Come and get it. Look, I know I look like the butcher, but it's Millie. He's crazy. Okay, Booker, can you look at me, please? Booker! Dry up, bitch. Booker, help! Booker! Will you shut up? Booker! And that was the trailer for Freaky. The synopsis, quick synopsis for you guys. After swapping bodies with a deranged serial killer, a young girl in high school discovers she has less than 24 hours before the change becomes permanent. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, personally, I really enjoy this film, but I want to start mm-hmm. off with you, Myron. What are your thoughts? Did you like it? Come on. You know you liked it, right? It was good. All right. right? Uh I like this, but not as much as I thought it would. Probably because I hyped it up so much and I was waiting and waiting no. and waiting to see this No, Myron, you, you know that. You're not supposed to hype yourself up too much. Yeah. You got to keep but a level head. I, I liked it. You know, I will say Good. I liked it. Um, okay. All right. So Vince Vaughn was great. Uh, he was. looks like a hulking giant in this movie. It's like you almost forget how big he is until you kind of see him on screen next to like these tiny high schoolers which is pretty yeah. pretty funny his <laughs> physical comedy was amazing i mean he pu- he pulled off the murderer and the teenage girl really really well in this uh he played both physically it, it was convincing right i love I the genre mashup between the 80s high school flick with a teen slasher film yeah um I think it's pretty obvious what he was doing here. I mean, when Millie first walks through the town square on her way to school, I could swear that was the Hill Valley set on, on the Universal Studios Did you get lot. that? I, I had that feeling too. Yeah. I, I had that feeling. I was like, wait, is this, this? Yeah, I tried looking it up, but I couldn't I couldn't verify for sure. But it was definitely that same feel, so right? So close. Yeah. And then you had Alan Ruck from Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He was the, <laughs> uh, the belligerent uh, woodshop teacher, right? And then, so you got the 80s John Hughes slash Zemeckis high school movie there. And you pair that up with all of the um, the things that you would see in an 80s slasher film, right? You had the big, bloody fonts, right, that took over the screen. The yep. same rules, right? If It's like if you're a teenager that sleeps with another teenager, you're probably going to get murdered in the first <laughs> act, which happens quite a bit here, right? <laughs> so uh, it never takes itself too seriously, right? And I'm glad it didn't. Uh, it is very self-aware of how cheesy 80s movies and 80s slasher films are. And if it takes itself too seriously, it pulls us out of the film. Yeah. So it embraced the campiness. And I like that. Yeah. Dude, it was so good. So good. Yeah, I love the deaths, too. Uh, I know that sounds a little sadistic. Ooh, but you're a little, whoa. The, yeah, they're <laughs> oh. so over the top, you couldn't really <laughs> take them seriously. I am not going to give them away here. Uh, they are just very gruesome and completely way over the top and so for that sense i'm like oh but then i was laughing right it's so good oh man yeah yeah <laughs> oh dude. Uh, what about you what was your initial dude. reaction to this film so dude i mean this was a fun film to watch i watched it at the drive-in with my girlfriend and she's not a fan she she thought this was gonna be more of a comedy like more comedy than dark comedy but like with the amount of gore that was in it, she was freaking out, <laughs> and it was a, I was laughing because it was just so over the top, like you said. But 
I didn't expect the amount of gore that was in the film. Yeah. Obviously, it didn't bother me. I thought yeah. the twist also of mixing Freaky Friday with a slasher film. Oh, I thought that was so fun. That was so great. Yeah. Good take. Uh, yeah. When Vince Fawn, who plays the butcher, and Catherine Newton, who plays Millie, switch places, like, dude, they, they, you already stated it. They were both so good playing the other person. I think Vince Fawn was hilarious while capturing the timidity and innocence of Millie. And then Catherine was really effective playing the butcher. Like, she had the evil eyes and the silent serial killer persona down. Because when we get a little glimpse of her character as her Millie cell as Millie, like, it, it's such a great contrast the way then how she becomes the butcher and and just so confident all this this this, this yeah. whole thing like i was just like who the frick is this girl like, yeah she puts on this red leather jacket that she yeah. finds in her sister's red, closet and, and then when lipstick yeah yeah and when the vince vaughn yeah. yeah sees her so when when vince vaughn's character the butcher who's now millie sees her body she's like oh my gosh but I look, I look good. I, I like what I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah. She's like, she's like, kind of impressed. It's like I got some style. I don't know, I can pull that off. That was here's, pretty cool. Here's the funny thing, though, and this is what my girlfriend Zena pointed out, which I thought was actually funny. I actually laughed too. It was like when she transformed the red leather jacket. I think like you know the the uh, the the black jeans or the black top. I think uh, she looks at Millie that the butcher is now possessing and going wow the butcher knows how to put on red lipstick <laughs> i actually <laughs> laughed because i was like oh yeah. you're right because she does look like it looks perfect on her like on yeah, her lips yeah yeah <laughs> so maybe the butcher has other tendencies i don't know who knows like it's yeah. kind <laughs> it's like one of those things where uh you you watch these movies and there are so many thin points in, in movies like yeah, this yeah. where it's like it kind of calls attention to the fact that this is all just for fun the right? butcher has style? I, I totally like, get it what yeah yeah <laughs> You know how it's to like, color match? <laughs> and it's like, you know, uh, Millie's sister is way taller than her and a completely different size, and the jacket looks ginormous. But when yeah. we see her wearing it, it's like perfectly <laughs> tailored and it fits her. That's it's, so it's true. Just I, didn't just like, I didn't notice that either. That's a like, good point. <laughs> it's like, just accept it and, and move on, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, I mean, it, and, and that's the thing, too, is that uh, as you also like was saying earlier too, like just it, as over as top it was, I, I'm just so glad it embraced the campiness. That's that's literally yeah. what it is. It's it's a simple yeah. story, and but it's enjoyable because it's just it's just played to that campiness. Um, dude, one of the funniest moments though was the car scene where Millie and her crush Booker are take are talking and being transparent about how they feel about each other. Yeah, but you left out one detail: is that Millie is still in Vince Vaughn's body, so that's we have we, a high school yeah. boy. <laughs> And Vince Vaughn in the backseat of a car talking about their feelings. And there comes a moment when Booker goes in for a kiss. Yeah. And then Vince Vaughn says, can we try this again when my hand isn't bigger than your face? And he's like, look, and then he tells her though too, even before that, he's like, is it weird that I just want to kiss you right now? Like, I don't even care that you're the butcher. He's like, um, kind of, you know? So yeah, those, those are great. Um, Man, so man, it's just such a. It's even fun just talking about it because, like, I mean, I would watch it again too, actually, just because how how ridiculous it was. But yeah. I mean, as as fun and as gory and as crazy of this film that was, like, was there anything obviously that stood out to you that you're just like, eh, could have been better? Uh, the script was a little paint by numbers, and some of the scenes in the film were really contrived. Um, it's yeah. like. Well, there was one scene that felt really forced. Uh, we we're told that Millie's mom works at this store called Discount Bonanza, right? <laughs> and then now that Millie is in Vince Vaughn's body, there's like a, a police chase. And then um, Millie, 
who has now convinced her friends who she is and that the butcher isn't the butcher, but is Millie. They decide to hide out in Discount Bonanza. It's like, okay, here it comes. Obligatory mom-daughter scene. And Uh, there's dramatic irony here because uh, the mom thinks she's talking to a man in a fitting room, right? Sure, sure. And then, you know, they talk about how they both lost a loved one and they both connect on this deeply emotional level. And they're talking to each other and they're able to connect in a way that they weren't able to before because, you know, as mother and daughter, you you both feel like you're going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. And this little change in the context has allowed them to connect in a deeper level, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, Millie's mom doesn't know that she's talking to Millie. She thinks she's talking to a man in the fitting room. So just scenes like that felt like it was like, it had to be there. And it was forced. I actually was like, oh my gosh, I was about to roll my eyes and just be like, come on, can we move on to the next scene? But uh, Vince Vaughn played it so well. Um, he played up the humor in it. And uh, he kind of carried that scene. And he got us through it. And uh, you know, we were able to move on, which was fine. But that was just one of many like plot contrivances where it just felt like, okay, they need to hit this emotional note. They got to hit this emotional note. Big uh, chase scene here. Here's the climax. And then here's the second climax. Things like that. So, so just, and, just out of, out, like, just kind of throw you a curveball, like, knowing yeah. those set of rules that, that has to take place in order for the story to work, right? Like, how mm-hmm. would you have done it, I guess, differently to not have your eyes roll? Uh, so, you know, all movies deal with setup and payoff, right? You set something off and you have to pay it off later. I just right. wish it would, the setup wasn't so over, overly blatant to the point mm. where it's like, okay, that'll come back later. And when it comes back later, you're like, yep, it came back later. That's that thing. So. <laughs> okay. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, and you know, there are a couple of loose ends in the movie that aren't really tied up and maybe they're not supposed to be. Cause like we talked about, they're making fun of eighties movies. Um, 80 slasher films and it's not like they do a great job explaining things in those movies either so maybe they purposely decided not to explain certain things in this film i don't want to get too deep into it uh, but let's just say that they're they don't explain why uh killers can't stay dead <laughs> even after being shot multiple times <laughs> they tend to reappear and act like they are not shot but then i was thinking oh maybe they're kind of diving into the mythology of this butcher character who knows maybe they'll talk about it in the sequel so there's that um small things here and there didn't take away from the from how entertained i was throughout the film what about you there's a blatant obvious you know uh point of like what the killer the butcher was supposed to uh what was it reflect right the the homage of who is supposed to be of the killer because that that mask that he wears gives it away and i'm like okay It's Jason. It's basically, okay. uh, yeah, a hockey mask. Uh, it's a, yeah. it's like a hockey mask, but it's wood. <laughs> it's yeah. like a wooden something. I don't know. But yeah. It's like a ceremonial like, okay. artifact. Yeah. Which <laughs> yeah, goes into one other issue I, I think you had with the scene, right? Conveniently, the opening scene takes place in like a, a house filled with artifacts, right? Yes. And at a teenager's house. So that those are my weeks. So that that's what bothered me. So like it might be a small spoiler, but I thought it was just lame how the butcher found the knife. Uh, aka the MacGuffin, like it's a mechanism that facilitates the body switch. Uh, it was in the house of the teenage victim, and her father happened to be conveniently collects artifacts. And obviously, like the teenagers, like parents weren't home, and the teenager like had his girl boyfriend over and two other friends, as you already said, and you set it up. They're most likely gonna die, which is yes, that's gonna happen. But how they're gonna die and the gore that came with it, I did not expect. I was like, wow, this is really in your face. But yeah, yeah I think it could have just been set up better. But 
I guess I ha- I mean for me I I'm okay like you said too. It's an '80s film. We're making fun of these you know um, niche and 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 it's kind of just you know being pastiche about it, where it's just kind of throwing in all the all the horror slasher kind of like uh, styles of it. So it was funny and it was it was good. The other so yeah so other than that the other the only other thing that I just thought was a bit cheap was the relationship between Beth and her mother. Yeah. Like Beth loses her father. And, and and that takes a toll on her mom, but I think it's been over a year since his passing, but yeah. her struggle with it, like, is still there, and she drowns herself in alcohol, which I'm just like, really, like, you know, it's been a year, and then your daughters are still like, they 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 need a mother, and you're gonna be dealing with like, you're gonna deal with it like this, I don't know, it just seemed like a cheap shot. It just didn't seem as strong of an excuse to be where like you know how how her mother acts or the way her mother is her mother yeah, actually I, really annoyed me in the film i have to agree with you i wouldn't say i was annoyed i i would say that maybe uh, the mother could have been written a little bit better um for example we are uh well the scene we the, are, the, the scene the scene where she was after the game remember and she was sitting down at the bench calling her mom and her mom's yeah. passed out on the couch and it yeah. was like hours that passed i was like are you freaking kidding me? This mom is passed yeah. out for that many hours. And yeah, the, yeah that, I was just like, okay, okay. And we are told that uh, we are shown that she's an alcoholic. How, how are we shown that? Well, basically um, our main character, Millie wakes up in the morning and then walks over to the trash can and then sees an empty bottle of wine in, in the bottom of the, of the wastebasket. It's one of those things where it's bottle. like, yeah, yeah, it's like okay, so that is the convenient way to let us know that the mom is an alcoholic, but trying really hard, and it's just one of those things where you just wish they paid a little bit more careful attention to, right? Yes, yes, yeah. To kind of, but get, it's like to create that tension, to create that struggle of knowing like like where Millie had to be in, in order for the story to progress. I feel like that they could have done a better job in the way that the mother. Uh, should have been irresponsible, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those are my problems with the movie. Overall, it's still really, really fun. Uh, Chris Landon did a great job of uh, this, uh, making this film. Mm. I do like his first film with Blumhouse a lot better. Um, Happy Death Day. That one I still have to watch awesome. that, honestly. Yeah. That one was crafted really, really, really well. But this, you know, it's still just as enjoyable. Um, so maybe it's time to go ahead and move into our final reviews of the film. Will, what did you think? I give it a 3.5. Funny, fun, and, and just a nice take on Freaky Friday. Such a fun take. Yep. Yeah. I, w- I wish I could give this a 3.25 because I feel that, like Marian. it's better. That, I know. I wish that rule. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. Uh, I wish I could give it something higher than a three, but not quite a three and a half. But since I can't, I have to round this down. Uh, it was a really fun, enjoyable take on the whole body swap film idea. But for me, there were too many contrived moments for me to rate this at a three and a half or a four. But still, really, really fun. Definitely worth a watch. Vince Vaughn was hilarious. Catherine Newton was great. Please do check this out. I I recommend this film. Yes, it's Um, a fun film. Definitely fun. All right. That was our episode for today. We will be back next week with a review of the films Mink, directed by David Fincher, and Let Them All Talk, directed by Steven Soderbergh. And of course, like we talked about earlier in this episode, we will be going through our Fincher versus Soderbergh face-off, where four Fincher films go up against four of Soderbergh's films, and they will duel to the death until there is only one left. Tune in next week. See ya.